0: Man, it is a good morning. It's a great place to be in the house of God. And uh, I want to welcome. Put your hands together for all of those watching online. Just give them some love. Been talking with people online from Iowa, from all over the place. It's it's amazing how God does what He does. Maryland, uh, I know people were saved in Maryland. That's amazing. That's it's incredible. Now we're uh, we're glad to have you. And uh, and also I want to send a special shout out to all of our campuses, okay? So of course our Tampa campus, you're amazing. This is I haven't been been here in a minute, you know, it's been a couple of weeks, and so I'm glad to be in front of you. And our South Shore campus, y'all put your hands together from Pastor Hector and the team down there, doing amazing. And of course, will y'all please show some Plant City love to, to my home campus, Plant City? So, so glad have you with us today and um, I want to start out first of all and let you know I know that everyone is about to go back to school and and that's a big deal and I wanted to just give you a quick reminder in all of your going back to school as you send your kids back to school make sure you send your kids back to church I don't miss that part and I wanted to show we have an amazing student ministry here at, at the Crossing Church all of our campuses have an incredible outreach to our, our teenagers, our middle school and high school students. And it's just amazing. In fact, I know they do a couple activities a month. They do, uh, they do one every week at South Shore every Wednesday, every Tuesday at Mike Sanson Park in Plant City. We have volleyballs. So if you've got teenagers, of course, incredible services with the word and worship and powerful encounters with God. And so you do not want to neglect Putting your students in the presence of the Lord and connecting them with other young people of faith. It's going to matter. It's going to matter in their life. And so if you want to keep up with all that's going on, you can just follow at any of our social media uh, tags uh, for our student ministry. If you're a parent, just follow along. You'll see all the latest updates. And so if you're looking to find them, you can find them on Facebook or Instagram. You can just search Crossing Students and then whatever campus you attend. And so with that being said, make sure that they get plugged in. And, uh, and I know some of you are super excited about school starting back because that means your kids will be out of the house. It's been the longest spring break of your life. <laughs> Unreal is my only word that I can say for this spring break. Lord, let it in. And uh, now we we uh, we also want to make sure uh, we continue to pray for Pastor Greg, and he had a a diaphragm surgery uh, in in the process of doing his other surgery. His diaphragm was was uh, wounded, and so he needed to have a another surgery, and he had that done, and he's healing, doing really well. And uh, we're excited because it's coming back, and so. What we expect is October, all right. So we're praying for the 1st of October to get Pastor Greg back in the saddle again. And I can't personally; I can't hardly wait because I think this is one of the, the greatest churches in the nation, and uh, we have one of the greatest leaders in the nation. And so, I, uh, I, I I'm excited about it. And so I want to I want to pray for him. And and real quick, we have a an intern and in one of our, we have an intern program here at the church. And and one of our interns she actually serves in Plant City. Uh, you might remember her. She was the, the young lady who had the kidney transplant. And we did the, 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 the follow. We followed her along and showed her story, I believe, last Christmas. And, but I wanted you to, uh, to, to join me in praying for her. They, they, uh, are, she's actually in the hospital right now. They're doing a biopsy on a lymphoma uh, that, that was created from the medication from the kidney surgery. But here's what I know to be true. God is in control. He is in charge of the report. And it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. In his hands, he has the answer. He has the solution. He is our great healer. And so we lean into him. And so would you all join me in praying for Pastor Greg and Deanna. And, just, and, and in fact, if you're watching right now and you have some sort of disease or illness or injury or some sort of physical problem, would you just lay your hands on your chest or on that body part? And, and let's just come together and pray for God's healing to move all across this country right now. Can we do that? Let's let's do it. Father, we thank you for your healing power. We recognize that you're our source, you're our healer, you are our great comforter. We run into you and we are saved. And so we ask that you would transform uh, Pastor Greg's environment, his home, into a hospital of healing. I would pray right now that you speak right into the, the, the Tampa General room with Deanna and that you would speak life into her, that you would bring wisdom to her doctors, that they would be able to see clearly exactly what's going on and have the remedy we are declaring no cancer on her right now we declare a release of your healing in this atmosphere and everyone watching online everyone dealing with illness we declare that your favor would rest on them and that they would walk out of this uh, worship experience having felt a touch of your healing grace we thank you for it because you're our source you're our hope and we lean into you in jesus name we pray it amen Amen. Yes. Let's give God a praise for healing. We believe that God is up to something. So I want to jump in quickly and just just push in. I was able to start this message series uh, at the beginning of the month. And we're in the one that is called When Life Gives You Lemons. And we know when life gives you lemons, you're supposed to make lemonade. And so what we've done is is taken some things that we deal with uh, throughout this summer, or this extended spring break, and, and we, are, we have been looking at how God can use them to realign our lives. I, got, I was able to kick off the series by talking about the limits of time disruption, because time disruptions are opportunities to realign your life with God's purpose and His assignments for you. Pastor Stephen followed up with a, a message on the limits of anxiety. I know no one in here has ever felt some anxiety. Not this summer, for sure. And, and so as, as he dealt with that, he, he reminded us that anxiety is an opportunity to stop, to, to seek, and to stand on the promises of God. And Pastor Hector followed that with uh, social challenges, the, the uh, uh, limits of social challenges. Social instability, after all, is an opportunity for believers to rise up and to begin to take back the mountains of influence in our world. That's what he's called us to do. And Pastor Jonas last week hit us with the relationships. And I know no one's had relationship issues just because you've been locked in a room with your spouse all summer long. <laughs> but if you happen to have had an occasional brush in with a problem, I encourage you to go back and check that out because it's, it's our responsibility said, to lean into the chaos of our relationships and bring reconciliation. So if you haven't heard any of these messages, I think it's been a powerful series, and so I want you to go back and you can check those out online, but but I wanted to push in today and talk for just a moment about the the uh, lemon of resource disruption, because a lot of us have had and experienced resource disruption. A lot of people here today or watching online, you've had uh, some job loss, or maybe Cut back in pay. Maybe your business suffered. I, I own a business as well. My wife and I, and, and for the first month of the shutdown, we zero business. Right? It dried up, and so we all understand the context of 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 disruption, of resource disruption. But here's the deal: resource disruption happens all the time. It's you. You've ever been doing really good and then really rough, and then something will hit you, and your tires all bust at the same time, and. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden you have some situation roll along, your kid breaks a leg, and, and you know, and, and, and so there's always some sort of thing, right, that can throw off your resources. But, but the truth is that, that when it comes to our resources, resource eruption is an opportunity to realign yourself with God's definition of success. Because true success is... Uh, properly managing the resources that God has placed in your life. That's what real success is. When God looks at you and says, well done, he's talking about, he's not talking about how many times you came to church, and that's good. The Bible tells us that. He's not talking about uh, um, how many homeless people you fed, although that's good. He encourages that as well. He, He is talking about, did you manage the stuff I gave you properly? Did you manage the resources that I placed in your life properly? You see, resources are, 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 are being disrupted right now, and, and, and I, I saw recently that Hillsborough County, the average household income is just around $56,000 here in Hillsborough County. And, and in that range, in that middle income area, as of, as of June, 28% had lost at least one income in their household, and the 28% had lost a job inside that house. And, and industries have been hit. I know international trade is a big deal, I know everyone in here is involved in international trade. But that industry was hit in a big kind of way. Uh, travel, travel was hit, remember all the cruise ships were just being docked offshore, and, and no one's going on those, and events, child care, all that stuff has been impacted in a, in a major way. Yelp uh, put out a report that said that 55% of the businesses that had temporarily closed as due to the shutdown have since permanently closed. So the impact can be felt tangibly, but the truth is, That resources come and resources go. And how we manage the resource that God has given us will dictate the rest of our resource. How we manage what he's given us opens up doors for us. And and, and so I want to be reading from Luke chapter 12. That's our main text today. But I wanted to give you a context for how that story begins. So in Luke chapter 11, we find ourselves here in this situation where Jesus is in Bethany. Now, Bethany is the town that Mary and Martha were from. And you remember Lazarus and all that, right? So so Mary and Martha had a home in in Bethany, and he was there. And so he's in this region that we now call the West Bank. That's where Bethany is. And so he was ministering there. and, And as he was there, crowds began to grow. They started to show up. And so his disciples come to him and they ask him in this environment, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so in this setting is where we got the Lord's prayer. He taught us the the, the structure or the pattern of prayer. He taught us the persistence. He began to tell his disciples about expectation. And then he moves from that and he starts casting out demons. All right, so he's throwing demons out left and right. And then all of a sudden... In that environment, the haters show up. Because anytime you're doing something good for Jesus, there are going to be some haters around. I promise you that. And, and so they said, well, he must be working for the devil. And then, and then so he, he, he deals with that. And then I like this is one of my, my favorite little verses in this story. It's in a, chapter 11, verse 27. And so as Jesus was saying these things. A crowd called out, a voice out of the crowd, a woman out of the crowd said, blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you. And this is just a little side note, because in my head, what I heard was, bless your mama's heart. (laughs) The Plant City version, the PCV, (laughs) said clearly, bless your mama's heart. Would, by the way, if my wife ever says to you, bless your heart, that is not a compliment. She, unless some of you, some of you Yankees might need to know this. No, but bless your heart is, is only Southern women can, can cuss you out and it feel like they might have gave you a compliment. Like, I don't, thank you, I think. But, but he says to her, I, I love this, his response in verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey. He said, no, 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 listen, you don't get the blessing because you cross paths with me. My mama don't get the blessing just because she's my mama. You get the blessing when you hear the word of God and you obey it. Hear and obey. A lot of us here, not so many obey. But here's the deal. Real blessing doesn't happen because you come to church and hear the word of God. Your blessing is held up until both parts are completed, hearing and obeying. And here's the deal. In this scripture, you find there there are three types of people in church. There's three types of people right now in this room. There's three types of people watching online. And they're all found right here in this story. Because in Luke chapter 11, verse 1... He says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught the disciples, his disciples. Now, now there's one, there's in, in a crowd there's, or in the church, there's going to be a disciple, all right? Some of you are disciples. God bless you because you're disciples. And, and then there's another crowd in here and you find that in verse 14. He says, Jesus was driving out a demon. I guess there might be four people. There's some demons in here too. Don't look at your neighbor. Some of y'all was pointing fingers and stuff like, like you was telling me a secret. When Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute, when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. Because there there, there is a crowd in every church. And and then he said this, uh, but some of them said, Bobby Azelbub, the devil, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. And others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. So in in an atmosphere like this, you're going to have haters. Now that's going to be people who subvertly slide in. the church and they attempt to undermine things from the inside. You didn't know that. Not everybody sitting next to you is worshiping Jesus. There are people, especially in a church like like ours, we we know for sure, we have had witches come up in here, sitting back. You might even be in here now. It's okay. Jesus will mess you up just like anybody else. You, you, You done made a mistake. This place is curse-proof. We have built into the building, there's an antenna we put on the top of the structure. It is called a hater radar system. And so we are able to track you out. The Holy Spirit shows you for who you are. You might get away with it for a minute, but I promise you, you will be found. So if you're here to cause problem. You might as well find another church to go to. So that's always in a crowd uh, inside of a church. And you also have the crowd and you have disciples. And the way you know the difference between whether you are a disciple or whether you are a crowd is because disciples chase intimacy with God. Lord, teach us to pray. But the crowd chases the show. They were amazed. And the crowd began to swell. And so in this atmosphere, you need to ask yourself, am I here because I'm chasing intimacy with him, or am I here for the show? And what you do when you leave here will be the determining factor to that answer. What your Monday looks like. What your Tuesday looks like. Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Do you have Bible Wednesday? And, and so the experience you have through the week will, will, will be able to, to, to define that for you. And, and then he goes from here and Jesus goes to dinner with some of these haters. Because, like I said, we ain't scared. <laughs> and so he just started laying it out. And, and I mean, he, he, he gave it to him. You whitewashed tombs. You Dirty cup drinking, you know. Remember that whole thing, right? Yo, mama's so fat. He was started just really, like laying it on him. PCV guys, PCV. Remember, I read a different book. Okay, so, so while all this is happening, the crowd is now in the thousands. Because remember, the crowd, the crowd is is growing because they, they they're amazed. They're, they're they're there for the show. And 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 so. This is where Jesus starts to deliver this truth that, that resource disruption is an opportunity to realign yourself with God's definition of success. Every day, you should look at the resources in your life and ask, What does God want me to do with this? You are here to manage the resources. And so he gives us a few things starting in chapter 12. These are characteristics of people who are successful in managing the resources that God has given them. I want you to get these. We're going to blow through these real quick. Ready? All right. So first of all, he says in verse 1 that you must must have authenticity. Because he tells us to guard guard yourself against the yeast of the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy. Now here's the deal. Hypocrisy is claiming to be a child of God and living like God doesn't matter. Claiming to be Christian and treating people as if God doesn't care how you treat them. It's being Christian and lying. On people and taking advantage of people and not talking to God all week long, but but you're oh I'm a child of God. Oh, He's the most important thing in my life. On Sunday between the hours of ten thirty and eleven thirty, and so the temptation. To hypocrisy is often strongest among those who have, have, have had some measure of success in their life. The, the, the temptation for hypocrisy is real strong there. And, and so he says, listen, you got you to be authentic and, and you got to be eternally minded. In, in verse 4 and 5, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Listen, he says, don't fear this physical stuff and these physical attacks and these words spoken against you and these, these haters in your crowd. Why are you so afraid of them when I am the one who controls eternity? He says, stop being concerned about impressing a bunch of people who have no power and no authority in eternity. The only thing that matters don't allow the physical realm to dictate your direction in life. But, but fear, he says, that's to obey, that word fear, it means to obey out of reverence. Obey out of reverence him who controls eternity. Now here's a little side note. He says he, he, he controls eternity and he, and he mentions hell here. And, and the word hell is, in, in this context, is the word Gehenna. It was an actual place. And Gehenna was a location, it's, it's a location just south of valley, just south of Jerusalem, and two things happened in this valley. First of all, it, it was a burning waste dump, so it was where everybody took their garbage and they set it on fire, and, and so you could see the fires constantly burning trash, and so basically all the stuff that you love, all of your favorite stuff is the place it would end up. That car that you love more than anything in the world, you know, one day, that, that, day, that thing ain't going to run at all. It's going to be sitting in a dump somewhere inside of a trash compactor. All right, let me, let me hurt your feelings. That, that chair that you love so much, that recliner that you've been sitting in for 50 years, when you pass away, no, nobody wants that. You'll be trying to give that away. Everybody's going to be like, oh man, I, I don't want that thing. You see how bad that smells? What is that stain from? Why is his butt impressed in the. The stuff you love the most will end up in this place. It's like hoarders. Like, you ever see the show Hoarders? It's like hell on earth to me. I, I don't know about. I can't hardly that and pimple popper. I can't even look. I, just, just call it everybody. Don't oh, come here. Look at this. And the second thing that happened at Gehenna was child sacrifice. They would take their babies alive and they would, they would set them in the fire. Child sacrifice. This, this is. This is wasted, hell is wasted purpose. That's what that is. Wasted purpose. You know, your purpose, Pastor Jonas talked about it a few weeks ago, your purpose is to be in the presence of God. And hell is the absence of God. You, you are out of his presence. And, and so it is wasted purpose. That's why abortion breaks the heart of God. Because it is purpose being squandered. You can't believe that you have purpose and everyone else doesn't. That is insanity. That that is is crazy talk. Listen, you, that being for life is not a political opinion. It's an eternal alignment with the heart of God. And here's the deal, if you, if you had an abortion at some point, listen, I want you to know that here's what God told me when I was writing this. He said, you tell them that I love them, that I'm not mad at them, that I am not holding that against them, that I don't look on them with disgust Tell them. They are a treasure to me, and they are valuable. And he is able... He is able to restore everything the enemy has taken. He is able to bring life from from dark places. He is able to bring hope out of hopelessness. He is able to restore to you everything the enemy has taken from your life. He loves you. So then he goes on to tell us that... We not only need to be authentic, and, and and we not only have to be eternally minded, but we need to be heavenly popular. Because in Luke verse uh, in chapter twelve verse seven, it says real clearly right here: "Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Don't be afraid; you are worth more than many sparrows." Listen here. Here's y'all found this little. It, the, can you imagine tracking the number of hairs? On everybody's head I mean that for my wife it would be impossible because this is like a small cat was killed every morning <laughs> in my sink somehow in my sink and and, and I, I had a fun fact I heard this uh, so blondes blondes they have uh, on average 145,000 strands of hair all right so if you cut hair you're supposed to charge blondes more it's more work. And, and if you're a brunette, you have on average 120,000 strands of hair. Now, you, you dyed it blonde, but that don't count. You don't get more hair because you dyed it blonde. <laughs> we, we know what you did. So, so 140, 120, and then, and then redheads have 90,000 strands of hair. And Pastor Jonas's have no hair. That's a fact. It's in the Bible. PCV. PCV. But there is a popularity contest in heaven right now going on. And And you find it in Matthew chapter 7 because he tells us some will say, but I prophesied in your name and I cast out demons in your name and I did miracles in your name. And he says, Jesus will look at them and say, But I don't know your name. You never made yourself popular here. You spent your life making yourself popular there. And so you received your reward. And the the only way to win a popularity contest in heaven is to do the will of the Father. That's it. You can win. And then he tells them. He said, "You also have to be a Jesus promoter." In verse eight, it tells us that you have got to publicly acknowledge me. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge uh, uh, him before the angels of God. So, so here, here here's what I saw. So two things prevent God from dispatching angelic answers and intervention on your behalf. Two things. Number one is, is in verse 9, he goes on and tells us that, that I won't even tell them your name if you can't confess me before men. And you're calling on an answer and what he does with angels, angels deliver the answer. They're messengers. So they enter an atmosphere and say, hey, heaven, has declared victory here. Oh, y'all didn't know that. Well, I just, I just give you revelation. What is happening right now? So, yes, heaven sends angels down. And, and you remember Gabriel, right? Showed up sitting on the tomb, right? Drinking coffee, talking about, hey, you about to have Jesus? You know, all that kind of stuff. Y'all, if y'all ever seen a Bible, PCV, pick one up. So, in, in verse nine, he says, But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Two things hold up God's answer, and they are denying Jesus. And in verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So two things hold back angelic voices. That That is denying Jesus and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not blasphemy. Some of y'all think blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was what y'all did when you was doing like yabba dabba and all that. You was trying to make fun of somebody talking in tongues. Okay. I probably would recommend you don't do that. Like if that's your go-to humor spot. Probably not, probably not a good call. But but actually blasphemy is is not that. Blasphemy is, see, the Holy Spirit came to declare who Christ is. So, blasphemy is telling the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you about who Christ is that he's a liar. And, and, and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is not, uh, um, will never be forgiven. Not because it's too big of a sin for God to forgive, but because the attitude of the heart cares nothing for forgiveness. It never has forgiveness because it never wants forgiveness. And if it wants forgiveness, it actually does it, it wants it on its own terms. And forgiveness on my terms is called affirmation. That is not forgiveness. That is tell me that my sin is good. Tell me that my sin is all right. Tell me that I'm going to be fine. Tell me that you love my sin. And then he goes on to say, you've got to be a Holy Spirit sensitive. Holy Spirit sensitive. That is, the Holy Spirit in verse 12 tells us that for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should do. Say at that time. Because there is a that time. Here's what's crazy. You can be, I I know of of someone that's dealing with an illness and and they were in a hospital and they could not figure out what the problem was. No one could figure figured out no one could solve it it was kind of going on and on and, and everybody was frustrated and then and then this person though kept pushing in on God God you have the answer you know the truth and all the tests just all the doctors they could not figure nothing out been doing medicine for like a hundred years they ain't and none of them figure out nothing they just all confused that's why they call it practice medicine and they're just practicing they don't even know what's happening and so they were just practicing on her and 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 so she said God what is the answer and he said it is the medicine you were using on this thing, right? And so he pointed. And so she began to research that. And sure enough, that's the thing that was triggering the problem. Nobody could find it. Because the Holy Spirit at that time will speak to you. That's how it works. That's why giving up on the Holy Spirit too soon causes you frustration and, and angst and, and, and anxiety because you could have been in that moment, and because and, and you don't have an answer right now. You just, well, he ain't real then. Well, he don't care. Well, well, and he's going, I have an answer. I'm waiting on you to press into me, and then I will give you the answer in that time. You got to be Holy Spirit sensitive. That only happens through time spent with, with him in the Holy Spirit. You have to be. He says greed-proof in 13 and 14. It tells us, and this is one of my favorite moments with Jesus. I, to, I love this because it's, it's such a PCV version. Here's, here's what I saw. So verse 13, he says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, here's, Jesus just got through talking about Greed. And, and loving others and how to handle, you know, in your life. And, and he starts just telling them, about how, don't, don't be greedy. And he's telling them, hey, listen, you need to be heavenly minded and you need to be eternally focused and you need to be authentic. And, and he's just got through doing this and someone says, yeah, 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 that's good. That's, good. that's good, 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 good. But listen, can you get my brother to give me more stuff? And my, my favorite response of Jesus ever Because I think it's because it's my response. You find it in verse 14. And Jesus sucked his teeth. (laughs) PC version. (laughs) Sucked his teeth and said, Man, He said, "Man, am I being pumped? Are you kidding me right now?" <laughs> I never forget the time I I said, "Man," to my dad. Oh, oh, see so y'all, y'all was there. Oh, see so y'all was there. Y'all, I didn't realize we were live streaming at that time. So I like. About 16. <clears throat> I didn't like what he was saying to me. He was telling me I couldn't do something or whatever. And uh, I said, Man, my dad is six foot five. I'm a big guy. He makes me look small, all right? And he, he's usually a, a gentle giant, but that, that dude had like a, a demon like manifested in his face. He, eyes got big, nose got small, hands started swelling. I, <laughs> I've never done it since. I was like, yes, yes sir, it's, you got it. That's exactly what I wanted to not do. I, exactly. Thank you for reminding me of. But Jesus looks at him and said, man, who appointed me to be judge?" And blah, blah, blah. He gets on to him on, again. And then, he, and then in verse 15, he says this. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And and what struck me as odd was the fact that he said all kinds of greeds. I thought it was just greed. But there are all kinds of greeds. And and I want to show you a couple of them just, just real quick. One of the, one of the types of greeds is hoarding, hoarding. That's that not like the show. <laughs> hoarding actually masquerades itself as saving or planning. It, it masquerades itself as wisdom. It, hoarding, this this type of greed, it leads to a belief that the person cannot be generous until they have set enough money aside to. Comfortably retire. The, the willingness, their willingness to trust money rather than God with their future, drives them to ignore the needs of others and the, the will of God for the resources He's entrusted to them. They feel their, their first responsibility is to collect and gather enough assets to, uh, to secure a, what they assume will be a safe future. But a hoarder falls into the trap of using their resources to benefit one person, and that's the hoarder. Another type of, of greed is, is overspending. Again, don't look at somebody next to you. If you're married, just leave it alone, bro. <laughs> you deal with that later. You just keep eyes forward. Eyes forward. Overspending. This form of greed, it best fits into the life of an impatient person. See the the uh, the overspender confuses needs with wants, and as a result, spends more than their their uh, income allows, thus leading to debt. The, this person wants things now, and I'm willing to enslave myself to the debtor in order to have them now. The Bible says it: borrower is slave to the lender. You think you own that house. You a slave to the mortgage company. You thought you owned that dress, Amazon. <laughs> Prime. Right now, own it right now. You thought that. You, you a slave to Visa. Capital One is your number one. <laughs> Another type of greed is comparison. This, this kind of greed. Uh, it feeds the competitive sense that that we have to match the lifestyle of those around us. It drives us to uh, to spend and keep spending in order to show that we are equal with those around us, maybe family or neighbors or coworkers or bosses. This form of greed is a best friend to envy i, I 'll give you the the quick Uh, um, pre-marriage course, all those about to get married, think about getting married, go get married soon, listen, here's, here's the advice I give everybody, it's this, you don't owe anybody anything, you don't have to impress anybody, you, no one expects you to live and to start out your marriage in year one, the same level as your parents are at year 30, that's foolishness, Take the pressure off. Nobody expects that. If you didn't get nobody any gifts for Christmas, they probably most people would probably be okay. And if they aren't, they, they probably got other greed issues going on. And and, and, and so my wife and I, we got married and, and I wanted to live, you know, and start out at the lifestyle uh, of my parents. And so right away that first year, man, we we bought we bought gifts for people that that didn't care <laughs> they were just didn't they didn't matter they we, we were trying to live up to some thing that we saw them do so that meant we had to do it and, and we bought a whole bunch of stuff you know and and we spent more debt we got so much debt in that first year it took us ten years to work off the debt from that first year because we were comparison living set yourself free uh, uh, the fourth one I'll give you a quick is entitlement Entitlement, this is the sense that somebody owes you something. An entitled person believes this this lie. I don't have the money for it, so somebody ought to get it to me because after all, I deserve it. It's easy to be mistaken into thinking that only rich people are the ones that can be greedy. I know some poor people that will bust you over the head with a brick right now, take everything you have. Some of them are in here. This type of greed, it always comes with a lack of gratitude and, and is often manifested with anger. Entitlement is true idolatry because it causes you to place someone in the seat of God in your life when, and, and ignore the truth that God is your provider. Watch out for entitlement. So I want you to, to, to write this down and I want you to get this in your heart because here's, here's a truth that, that will do you well. You cannot find meaning in life by way of lifeless means. You'll never find meaning in life by way of lifeless means. Lifeless things and methods and strategies can never bring you meaning of life. The only way to find meaning of life is to go into the one who created the life to begin with. That is the source of meaning. And a good question to be able to judge for yourself whether or not you're falling into any of these kind of issues is this. Do your possessions support who you are? Or do your possessions define who you are? If you find your identity in the things you own, that's a problem. But if the things you own help you accomplish God's identity on your life, then that's a good thing. So God gave you a house. Now, some of you have a big house. But did that big house define you? I'm the guy with the big house. I'm the guy. That impresses people when they come over? I'm the guy with the big house. Or does that big house serve as a location to do bigger ministry? You, your house is, if you're Christian, your house is not your house. It's a resource that God has entrusted to you. And, and, and to hear and obey means this. I hear pastor get up and talk about life groups, and purpose, and we're going to reach our community, and we're going to reach our neighborhood, and we need you to open your home. Then God speaks to your heart, and you, you say, God, is this me? Do I own a home that you can use? Am I available? Yes. And then you obey that voice, and he says, open your home. Become a host home. Create a life group. Reach your neighbors. do a, do, a Turn your house from a house into a house of ministry. That is what using resource properly looks like. It, it's almost like we, we get into things thing like with my dog. I have, a, I have a Yorkie poop. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> like, people are like, I got a raw waller. I got a bulldog. I got a Yorkie poop. <laughs> He'll lick the mess out of your toes. I'm coming here with no sandals on. But that, that dog was sitting next to me, and I cooked the best steak I've ever made in my life the other day. I, it was amazing. Just getting ready for the fast. Just, mm, give me that steak. And, and, and I, I was being nice and gave the dog a little piece of it. And you know that joker just swallowed it down, didn't even, try, didn't even taste it. Didn't say thank you or nothing. Just started barking at me like I was doing something wrong. But that's how we treat God. We can't even enjoy the things he's given us before we're barking for more. And then he tells us you need to be God rich. Verses 16, he tells us to, through 21, and he, and he gets to this point. He says, hey, there was a guy, who built some barns, and he decided I'm going to build some more barns because these barns are going to hold more of my stuff, and then I'll be able to sit back and say, I built these barns, and I made this stuff, and I put it in there, and then I'm going to be able to sit back eat, drink, and be merry. I'm just going to love life, right? And then God says to him, you idiot. <laughs> you idiot. You don't, don't you know your life is about to be taken from you? And then all of this stuff, is who's going to use it? It's going to be gone. You spend all your life saving up for something that will never happen. And so he says to him, uh, you need to be, th- th- it's, it's this, this is how... It will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. In other words, you can store up things for yourself as long as you're also rich toward God. Godly success is defined by the wealth of your values and not by the value of your wealth. It'll never define it, it's always defined by the wealth of your values and not the value of your wealth. Life is one big thing. Barn-building party. That's some plant city jargon right there if I ever heard it. Barn-building party. But you either are building your barn or you're building his. Maybe you've done well this season. Maybe you've hit a major setback. Wherever you are on this spectrum, determine today that the next season of your life will be a life built building his barns. Building his kingdom. Building his stuff. Because he said, if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then all this other stuff will be handled. This season is a chance to realign yourself with God's definition of being rich in him. I wanna, I wanna close uh, today with a, a quick story, uh, it, it's, uh, it's kind of personal. Uh, it, it involves my, my older brother. So I have an older brother. We, we, ha- we didn't grow up together. We, we grew up in different homes. He's, uh, he's my half-brother. We have the same birth mother and different fathers. So he grew up with my birth mother, and I grew up with my father. And I was raised by, by my father and my stepmom. And, and he had very little to no interaction with his own father, which was probably a good thing because his father was a, t- a terrible person. And, and so while I was being raised by my dad and stepmom, he was being raised, sort of being raised by my biological mom, uh, more or less raising himself on the street. And, and let's just say the rules were drastically different in, in his house and in, and in my house. For, for, well, for one, I actually, I had rules <laughs> and, and I, I had boundaries and I had a, you know, a thick leather belt to just remind you gently where them boundaries were. <laughs> and as a teenager, my brother was, was uh, constantly in trouble. And he was in trouble with the law all the time. And he would end up in juvenile detention centers constantly. And, uh, and even though my dad was not his biological father, uh, one day my brother when he was about 15 uh, went to a court. And they were about to, to, to really put him away this time. And, and uh, so my father went to the court case. And my father tells a story like this, he remembers watching as he opened the door and they brought my my brother in at 15, hands chained to his waist with a chain running down to his feet. And he came jingling in with those chains. And he sat down, and the judge said, or my dad looked at the judge and said, listen, I, I know I'm not his dad, you know, technically, but, uh, but I, I would be willing to take him home with me if you'll allow it, and I'll do my best with him. And so the judge said, well, I mean, it's the last chance, so why not? The next step is prison, so... So he sent uh, my brother home with my, my dad that day, and he came to live with us on the farm. Now my, my papa is, is one of my favorite people in the world. He, he's my dad's dad, and he, he actually owned the farm. And so whenever they brought my, my brother home, uh, with no bloodline obligations and simply out of the love for my brother and a desire to see his life redeemed. My papa decided to give, he was going to offer, make him an offer, and it was this. He was going to give him 10 acres of land, free. Give him all of the tractors and supplies that it takes to get a farm started. And he told him he would walk by his side and teach him the art of farming, to give him a new life. And the only thing, the only stipulation that my brother had was that he had to completely give up his old life and embrace this new one with all of its blessings. Now, you might think, well, he's a grandfather, so he probably did that for all the kids. No, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't make me that offer. And I was digging ditches on that farm. He didn't even make that offer to any of the grandkids, except my brother. He didn't even make that offer to any of his kids. But I kind of understand. Grandkids are way better than kids. But even, even though we never received that offer, it, it it just goes to tell you how rare unbelievably valuable and once in a lifetime this offer was and can i can i take another moment just to tell you how the story ends 2 years ago i went to visit my brother in prison He's on the backside of a 40-year prison sentence that he started at 17. My son is 17. I couldn't imagine knowing that my 17-year-old was about to forfeit the best 40 years of his life. And when I left that prison that day, my brother looked at me and he said, you know, the biggest regret that I have in my life is that I didn't accept Papa's offer. I'd be in a different place today. Because you see, Papa has since passed away. And the farm has been sold. And that rare and beautiful opportunity just doesn't exist anymore. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 tells us that For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. And now is the day of salvation. The good news is that right now, you get to receive the greatest treasure that's ever been offered to mankind. You would not normally qualify for this gift, but someone made a huge investment on your behalf. The father sent his son to make the ultimate offer. Ephesians chapter 4. It tells us this you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So go ahead and make up your mind, because in about 60 seconds, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to accept the greatest offer you've ever had in your life, the gift of salvation. The prayer that we pray together is not the salvation. It's the commitment you make in your heart while you pray. That's the salvation. And some of you in here today know that you haven't made a full get rid of your old self put off the old man kind of commitment. In fact, you you run your life like you're the boss. And today you're recommitting. You feel that tug in your heart that says, I want to make him Lord of all. Because here's the truth. If he's not Lord of all things in your life, he's not Lord of anything in your life. Don't fool yourself. Give him your whole self, all of your resources, all of your time, all of your talents, all of your blessings, all of the resources that he's entrusted to you. You might want more, but he wanted what you to have what you have. Now use what you have for his glory. And I want to pray that prayer right now, and then we're going to pray a prayer of salvation together. So Father, I pray that you would prick our hearts, that we would be people honor you with our whole life, that we give you all the, the, the resources that are in our life. Disrupt them or bless them. It doesn't matter because what you give, I will give back to you. I lay it at your feet. I hear you call to give, to be a cheerful giver, to open up my life to you and to ministry. And that's what I do. Father, I put away my old self and I hold on to the new self that you've given me. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, I want everyone to pray this prayer with me. You can be watching online, at Plant City, South Shore, right here in Tampa. And I want you to pray this prayer of salvation. If you want to give your life to the Lord, listen, I want us all to join in together to make everybody feel comfortable. But but listen, make this commitment in your heart as we pray. Y'all join me. Say, Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I recognize that you're my only hope. You're my source, you're my hope, you're my joy, you're the strength I need. You're the supplier, the healer, and my deliverer. I call you king and Lord of all. Everything in my life I lay at your feet because it's yours. Come into my life. Take ownership of me and I will serve you all the days of my life. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to know in this room at Plant City, at South Shore, I know that God is speaking to you. And some of you, God is screaming in your in your ear. But I want you to just in boldness, on the count of three, if you prayed that prayer that redemption, that restoration of that relationship, or that maybe that's the first time you've done it. I want you to lift your hands on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand if that's you. We just want to celebrate you. We're not going to embarrass you. Somebody's coming just to give you information because they want you to take the next steps. Now, listen, we're not done. Because those that are watching online, you have an opportunity to give your life to the Lord as well. You know it's just as real. If you give your heart to Jesus on your computer, as if you were sitting in this room today, God is not a respecter of environments like that. He's able to move and and, and speak and deliver. And so, if that's you, you gave your life to the Lord today. Let us know about it. In fact, uh, the easiest way for you to do it is just to text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. We want to celebrate what God has done in you. And I don't care where you live, what city, what state you're in. It doesn't matter. God is up to something in your life, and we want to celebrate it. Now, listen, I want everyone in the room to stand with me. Let's get ready to worship one more time, because this is how we end service in worship. We, we worship with song. We worship in giving. We worship with our tithes. We worship with our offerings. And Pastor Wade will come out in a minute, and he's going to pray a closing. But as we worship, If there's anything in the world that you need to pray for, our prayer partners are in these altars. And we believe in the power of prayer. And so we invite you to join us. Let's worship together. Let's pray together. And let's see God move in your life. Come on.